Prince Caspian by C.S. Lewis Chapter 4 The Dwarf Tells of Prince Caspian Prince Caspian lived in a great castle in the center of Narnia with his uncle, Miraz, the king of Narnia, and his aunt, who had red hair and was called Queen Prinaprismia. His father and mother were both dead, and the person whom Caspian loved best was his nurse. And though, being a prince, he had wonderful toys which would do almost anything but talk, he liked best at the last hour of the day, when the toys had all been put back in their cupboards, and nurse would tell him stories. He did not care much for his uncle and aunt, but about twice a week his uncle would send for him, and they would walk up and down together for half an hour on the terrace at the south side of the castle. One day, while they were doing this, the king said to him, Well, boy, we must soon teach you to ride and use a sword. You know that your aunt and I have no children, so it looks as if you might have to be king when I am gone. How shall you like that, eh? I don't know, uncle, said Caspian. Don't know, eh? said Miraz. Why, I should like to know what more anyone could wish for. All the same, I do wish, said Caspian. What do you wish? asked the king. I wish, I wish, I wish I could have lived in the old days, said Caspian. He was only a very little boy at the time. Up till now, King Miraz had been talking in the tiresome way that some grown-ups have, which makes it quite clear that they are not really interested in what you are saying. But now he suddenly gave Caspian a very sharp look. Eh, what's that? he said. What old days do you mean? Oh, don't you know, uncle, said Caspian, when everything was quite different, you know the animals could talk, and there were nice people who lived in the streams and the trees. Naiads and dryads they were called, and there were dwarves, and there were lovely little fawns in all the woods. They had feet like goats, and that's all nonsense for babies, said the king sternly. Only fit for babies, do you hear? You are getting too old for that sort of stuff. At your age, you ought to be thinking of battles and adventures, not fairy tales. Oh, but there were battles and adventures in those days, said Caspian wonderful adventures. Once there was a white witch and she made herself queen of the whole country and she made it so that it was always winter. And then two boys and two girls came from somewhere and so they killed the witch and they were made king and queens of Narnia and their names were Peter and Susan and Edmund and Lucy. And so they reigned for ever so long and everyone had a lovely time and it was all because of Aslan. Who was he? said Miraz, and if Caspian had been a very little older, the tone of his uncle's voice would have warned him that it would be wiser to shut up, but he babbled on. Oh, don't you know, he said, Aslan is the gray lion who comes from over the sea. Who has been telling you all this nonsense, said the king in a voice of thunder. Caspian was frightened and said nothing. Your royal highness, said King Miraz, letting go of Caspian's hand, which she had been holding till now. I insist upon being answered. Look me in the face. Who has been telling you this pack of lies? Nurse, faltered Caspian, and burst into tears. Stop that noise, said his uncle, taking Caspian by the shoulders and giving him a shake. Stop it, and never let me catch you talking 
or thinking either about all those silly stories again. There never were those kings and queens. How could there be two kings at the same time? And there's no such person as Aslan. And there are no such things as lions. And there never was a time when animals could talk. Do you hear? Yes, uncle, sobbed Caspian. Then let's have no more of it, said the king. Then he called to one of the gentlemen-in-waiting who were standing at the far end of the terrace and said in a cold voice, Conduct his royal highness to his apartments and send his royal highness's nurse to me at once. Next day, Caspian found what a terrible thing he had done, for the nurse had been sent away without even being allowed to say goodbye to him, and he was told he was to have a tutor. Caspian missed his nurse very much and shed many tears, and because he was so miserable, he thought about the old stories of Narnia far more than before. He dreamed of dwarves and dryads every night and tried very hard to make the dogs and cats in the castle talk to him, but the dogs only wagged their tails and the cats only purred. Caspian felt sure that he would hate the new tutor, but when the new tutor arrived about a week later, he turned out to be the sort of person it is almost impossible not to like. He was the smallest, and also the fattest, man Caspian had ever seen. He had a long, silvery, pointed beard which came down to his waist, and his face, which was brown and covered with wrinkles, looked very wise, very ugly, and very kind. His voice was grave and his eyes were merry, so that until you got to know him really well, it was hard to know when he was joking and when he was serious. His name was Dr. Cornelius. Of all his lessons with Dr. Cornelius, the one that Caspian liked best was history. Up till now, except for nurses' stories, he had known nothing about the history of Narnia, and he was very surprised to learn that the royal family were newcomers in the country. It was your highness's ancestor, Caspian I, said Dr. Cornelius, who first conquered Narnia and made it his kingdom. It was he who brought all your nation into this country. You are not native Narnians at all. You are all Telmarines. That is, you all came from the land of Telmar, far beyond the western mountains. That is why Caspian I is called Caspian the Conqueror. Please, Doctor, asked Caspian one day, who lived in Narnia before we all came here out of Telmar? No men, or very few, lived in Narnia before the Telmarines took it, said Dr. Cornelius. Then who did my great-great-grandsisters conquer? Whom, not who, your highness, said Dr. Cornelius. Perhaps it is time to turn from history to grammar. Oh, please, not yet, said Caspian. I mean, wasn't there a battle? Why is he called Caspian the Conqueror if there was nobody to fight with him? I said there were very few men in Narnia, said the doctor, looking at the little boy very strangely through his great spectacles. For a moment, Caspian was puzzled, and then suddenly his heart gave a leap. Do you mean, he gasped, that there were other things? Do you mean it was like in the stories where there... Hush, said Dr. Cornelius, laying his head very close to Caspian's. Not a word more. Don't you know your nurse was sent away for telling you about old Narnia? The king doesn't like it. If he found me telling you secrets, you'd be whipped and I should have my head cut off. But why? asked Caspian. It is high time we turned to grammar now, said 
Dr. Cornelius in a loud voice. Will your royal highness be pleased to open Pulverolentus Siccus at the fourth page of his grammatical garden or the arbor of accidents pleasantly opened to tender wits? After that, it was all nouns and verbs till lunchtime. But I don't think Caspian learned much. He was too excited. He felt sure that Dr. Cornelius would not have said so much unless he meant to tell him more sooner or later. In this, he was not disappointed. A few days later, his tutor said, Tonight, I am going to give you a lesson in astronomy. At dead of night, two noble planets, Tava and Alambel, will pass within one degree of each other. Such a conjunction has not occurred for two hundred years, and your highness will not live to see it again. It will be best if you go to bed a little earlier than usual. When the time of the conjecture draws near, I will come and wake you. This didn't seem to have anything to do with old Narnia, which was what Caspian really wanted to hear about. But getting up in the middle of the night is always interesting, and he was moderately pleased. When he went to bed that night, he thought at first that he would not be able to sleep, but he soon dropped off, and it seemed only a few minutes before he felt someone gently shaking him. He sat up in bed and saw that the room was full of moonlight. Dr. Cornelius, muffled in a hooded robe and holding a small lamp in his hand, stood by the bedside. Caspian remembered at once what they were going to do. He got up and put on some clothes. Although it was a summer night, he felt colder than he had expected and was quite glad when the doctor wrapped him in a robe like his own and gave him a pair of warm, soft buckskins for his feet. A moment later, both muffled so that they could hardly be seen in the dark corridors, and both shod so that they made almost no noise, master and pupil left the room. Caspian followed the doctor through many passages and up several staircases, and at last, through a little door in a turret, they came out upon the leads. On one side were the battlements, on the other side a steep roof. Below them, all shadowy and shimmery, the castle gardens, above them stars and moon. Presently they came to another door, which led into the great central tower of the whole castle. Dr. Cornelius unlocked it, and they began to climb the dark, winding stairs of the tower. Caspian was becoming excited. He had never been allowed up this stair before. It was long and steep, but when they came out on the roof of the tower and Caspian had got his breath, he felt that it had been well worth it. Away on his right he could see, rather indistinctly, the western mountains. On his left was the gleam of the great river, and everything was so quiet that he could hear the sound of the waterfall at Beaver's Dam, a mile away. There was no difficulty in picking out the two stars they had come to see. They hung rather low in the southern sky, almost as bright as two little moons, and very close together. Are they going to have a collision? he asked in an awestruck voice. Nay, dear prince, said the doctor, and he too spoke in a whisper. The great lords of the upper sky know the steps of their dance too well for that. Look well upon them. Their meeting is fortunate and means some great good for the sad realm of Narnia. Tava, the lord of victory, salutes Alambo, the lady of peace. They are just coming to their nearest. It is a pity that tree gets in the way, said Caspian. You'll really see better from the west tower, though it is not so high. 
Dr. Cornelius said nothing for about two minutes, but stood still with his eyes fixed on Tarva and Alambo. Then he drew a deep breath and turned to Caspian. There, he said, you have seen what no man now alive has seen. You will see again. And you are right. We should have seen it even better from the smaller tower. I brought you here for another reason. Caspian looked up at him, but the doctor's hood concealed most of his face. The virtue of this tower, said Dr. Cornelius, is that we have six empty rooms beneath us, and a long stair, and the door at the bottom of the stair is locked. We cannot be overheard. Are you going to tell me what you wouldn't tell me the other day? said Caspian. I am, said the doctor. But remember, you and I must never talk about these things except here, on the very top of the great tower. No, that's a promise, said Caspian. But do go on, please. Listen, said the doctor. All you have heard about old Narnia is true. It is not the land of men. It is the country of Aslan, the country of the waking trees and visible naiads, of fauns and satyrs, of dwarves and giants, the gods and the centaurs, of talking beasts. It was against these that the first Caspian fought. It is you, Talmarines, who silenced the beasts and the trees and the fountains, and who killed and drove away the dwarves and fauns and are now trying to cover up even the memory of them. The king does not allow them to be spoken of. Oh, I do wish we hadn't, said Caspian, and I am glad it was all true, even if it is all over. Many of your race wish that in secret, said Dr. Cornelius. But doctor, said Caspian, why do you say my race? After all, I suppose you are a Talmarine too. Am I? said the doctor. Well, you're a man anyway, said Caspian. Am I? repeated the doctor in a deeper voice, at the same moment throwing back his hood so that Caspian could see his face clearly in the moonlight. All at once Caspian realized the truth and felt that he ought to have realized it long before. Dr. Cornelius was so small and so fat and had such a very long beard. Two thoughts came to his head at the same moment. One was a thought of terror. He's not a real man, not a man at all. He's a dwarf, and he's brought me up here to kill me. The other was sheer delight. There are real dwarves still, and I've seen one at last. So you've guessed it in the end, said Dr. Cornelius. Or guessed it nearly right. I'm not a pure dwarf. I have human blood in me, too. Many dwarfs escaped in the great battles and lived on, shaving their beards and wearing high-heeled shoes and pretending to be men. They have mixed with your Talmarines. I am one of those, only a half-dwarf. And if any of my kindred, true dwarfs, are still alive anywhere in the world, doubtless they would despise me and call me a traitor. But never in all these years have we forgotten our own people and all the other happy creatures of Narnia. In the long lost days of freedom. I'm I'm sorry, Doctor, said Caspian. It wasn't my fault, you know. I am not saying these things in blame of you, dear Prince, answered the doctor. You may well ask why I say them at all. But I have two reasons. Firstly, 
because my old heart has carried these secrets 